The passage today is a bit longer than normal, uh, part of the effort to um, meditate upon the whole of the Gospel of Mark in the course of three years. Um, I discovered after I divided up the first year, I probably could have had a bit smaller portions, but it just seemed to fit this way. So we're going from chapter 3, verse 20, to chapter 4, verse 20. And it turns out in those few verses, uh, within the context of the whole Gospel, we, we deal with some very difficult things. And they're really more for exegesis and the study of Scripture than for the meditation upon Scripture. But maybe it's a good idea just to touch on them briefly uh, before beginning the prayerful reflection upon these, these passages of the Gospel of Mark. The first thing is that there's a very odd reference to the family of our Lord, thinking that he's out of his mind, and including Our Lady and his family, his brothers, uh, the members of his family coming to take him away or to, to uh, rescue him. Um, this is a very odd passage, and we don't know quite what it means. Um, and I think it reminds us that if we want to know more particularly about Our Lady, uh, that we really need to reflect upon the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John. There's very little about Our Lady in this, in the Gospel of Mark, just a couple of brief references, including this one here. And it's not quite sure. We're not quite sure exactly what that means. It does seem that the family of Jesus, uh, his relatives were concerned and didn't have the full, of course, understanding of, of his mission. And so that's, that was a bit, uh, it's a bit difficult. And it's a tribute to Mark and, uh, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit that that very embarrassing and strange piece was, was left in. Uh, it's right there. The second thing is there's a passage in the today's reading, which speaks about the kind of unforgivable sin or the sin against the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is referred to in some of the other Gospels. And it's a little unclear exactly what that means, although in this Gospel it seems to be something, because it's directly rated, related to the uh, priest from Jerusalem claiming that Jesus is possessed by a devil, that if you cannot see the action of the Holy Spirit in our Lord Jesus uh, and think you're so blind as to think that he is possessed by a devil. That, there's not much can be done for you at that point. And I think that may well be the meaning of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that it's just, you can't deal with it really. It's just, that's too far gone. And that, means, that seems to be the significance of that passage. Uh, and so that's a, um, a bit of a, a difficult passage. Also near the end, there's a, a very strange, uh, or not strange, but uh, hard to understand piece of Greek that speaks about our Lord speaking in parables. And he seems to suggest that he speaks in parables so that people won't understand. But it seems probably to be more a matter of a kind of an ironic uh, way in which he's speaking that uh, the people who, whose hearts are hardened and who are deaf to the gospel are just not going to be able to appreciate what he's speaking to us about. The parables are, of course, profoundly important. And what they do is they, they're called to challenge us. They, the comparison is made that puzzles us, makes us think. And it is something that can be understood most fully by those who are closer to our Lord himself. The people outside will have a hard time understanding what our Lord is saying. And that is true even to this day. And so this passage this, this evening is just a very uh, profound and challenging one. And we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we enter into it in a spirit of prayer. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask you to free us from all of those, those realities in our life that block us and prevent us from hearing your word and from understanding it and from coming close to you through it. Especially from those sins within our lives that, and in our hearts that prevent you from coming to us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Then he went home, and the crowd came together again, so that he could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they said, he is beside himself. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting about him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around on those who sat about him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it had not much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up but increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And when he was alone, those who were about him with the 12 asked him concerning the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. And these in like manner are the ones sown upon rocky ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the delight in riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown upon the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's just ask the Lord to help us as we've heard this passage. What does it say to my head that I might understand God's word and God's ways? To my heart that I might love him more fully? To my hands that I might serve him more faithfully? How is the Lord speaking to me as I hear these words? Then he went home. The crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. He's surrounded by people as always throughout this gospel. People are pressing in upon him. We see later that he has to get into a little boat so he isn't crushed. The Lord draws people to him. And he draws people as well who are opposed to him. But our Lord in his presence, draws us to him. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they said he is beside himself. It could be that this means people were saying he's beside himself. He is not simply going about the life of a carpenter day by day doing his regular things. He is astonishing. He shakes people up. Sometimes in opposition, and we'll see that in a moment. But sometimes he just astonishes people. And the family of the Lord, his relatives, they, they don't know what to make of this. We can see also that when he went to his hometown, his fellow citizens were just unable to comprehend what is happening in Jesus. And so we think of this ourselves we realize the presence of our Lord. And some people to this day might say he is beside himself. He is, this is mad, what he calls us to. We think of the Sermon on the Mount. People say that's just too much. No one can live that. 
And yet he calls us to it, this challenge. And it's for us not to domesticate him or to pull him in or to try to take him aside the way Peter does later on. You know how Peter, when, when he's, our Lord is speaking, he starts trying to sort of tone him down and our Lord says, get behind me, Satan. So we need to say, here I am, Lord. I come to do your will and not be trying to limit or not getting embarrassed by or in any way overwhelmed in that way by what the Lord says. He comes to us, he speaks, he changes our hearts. The crowds come to him and we need to come to him and not try to domesticate him, to make him fit what we want him to be. There are a lot of expressions of Jesus in the world today that are like that, where we create Jesus in our own image and likeness, tame, validating what we like. But he can't be captured that way. He is a consuming fire. And we, we just can't do that, although we so often try to get a hold of him in that way. We need to grasp him, but not that way. So he went home, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went up to, to seize him, for they said, he is beside himself. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, these are people sure of their knowledge of God's will. These aren't the local scribes that he's been dealing with so far. These are heavy hitters. They're coming down from Jerusalem and they have determined what the issue is. It's not that he's beside himself, astonishing so much that his, his family and his relatives don't know what to make of him and want to kind of bring him home. No, this is more clear. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. We see how throughout the gospel he's been casting out demons, he's been healing, he's been teaching, and people are astonished. We've never seen anything like this. And they say it's by the prince of demons that he does this. How can they be so blind and so harsh? How often are we that way ourselves when we come upon anyone who is doing wonders in the name of the Lord? And so easy to dismiss a person as being, it is by the prince of demons he does that. We demonize so many people. It's sometimes our first option when we need to comment. That's why it's, uh, you know, sit down, have a coffee with someone and see the reputations shatter on the table. That's why St. Augustine had a, a wonderful saying around his dinner table, let anyone who criticizes an absent brother leave this table. He's from Beelzebub, and that's it, the prince of demons. He casts out demons. 
the censorious spirit. This is a lot of what Pope Francis has been talking about lately in his fiery way, in his lively style. The, the censorious spirit of religious people. We can all be that way. The prince of demons, that explains it. How harsh, how harsh we can be. And they're talking about our Lord Jesus, almighty God. And he gets to that later. So they don't just, they're not just overwhelmed by him. They're actually saying it is by the prince of demons. Though he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. That's true enough. This is the line that Lincoln used in the beginning before the Civil War in the United States, a house divided cannot stand. It's obvious at the very time of Mark, when Mark was uh, the early first century, we see that we see this as the house of Herod, various others. If a kingdom is divided, it will fall. And so what our Lord is saying here is that obviously Satan is not divided against himself because he's still here. It doesn't make sense to say that Jesus is Satan fighting, expelling Satan. That doesn't make sense. And the grim reality he's giving to us in this is that as he uses these different examples, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Of course, the message our Lord is saying to us here is he's not coming to an end. We still have to deal with Satan. The thought that he's divided and going away is just no evidence for that. In the time of our Lord, or if you turn on the TV, or if you look in the mirror, or look around, no, we're still in the struggle. Satan is defeated. In Apocalypse, we see him casting, being cast down. The dragon is there, defeated, but still flailing his tail. We can't presume it's all smooth sailing. So that's not a solution. This strange argumentation of the self-righteous, yes, Beelzebul is doing this. There's something else, though, that is at work. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds that strong man. And then indeed, he may plunder his house. We don't have any indication that Satan is falling apart, but we do know that Christ has conquered him. He is strong, the strong one, binds the power of Satan. He is the Lord. That's the ultimate reality we face in this world and in our own lives. He is the strong one, holy and great. And that's why we shouldn't ever get caught up in a distorted concern about Satan. 
He's not simply going away easily. That's not true. But we must be very careful not to be putting Jesus and the devil as kind of equal battling. <laughs> the strife is o'er, the battle won, now is the victory begun. I think C.S. Lewis very wisely said, the devil is happiest when we either don't believe in him or believe in him too much. Don't give any emphasis to him or give too much. Our struggle is with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the first two will give us more than enough to work on, each one of us. But lest we get overly concerned about number three in that, that list, he is being bound by Christ our Lord, the strong one. But to use Satan, the name of Satan as a way of discrediting the Lord amongst us, demonizing Jesus. As we too often demonize other people, maybe people who are doing good. Obviously not our Lord himself, but people doing good. How often does that kind of lead us to be like the scribes who come down from Jerusalem and say, it's by Beelzebel that this person is doing all these good things. A little hint of jealousy in there too, perhaps. That too is part of the whole mix. So we need to apply this to our own, our own life, our own situation. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, in ways of speaking that make us think, not clear right away, things we have to puzzle out. That's what a parable is. He speaks in parables, so we've got to think, what does he mean? He gets the old gray cells working there, which is, after all, what the Lord does. If a faith, if you have a kind of faith which says disconnect the brain and just sort of pure heart, and you don't have to puzzle out the parables, using the mind God gave us, then we've got some, that's not the real thing. It's head, heart, and hands. All three have to be in action, and head, trying to see what does he mean. That's what he does. He speaks in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. What does that mean? And then, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and indeed he, then indeed he may plunder his house. Then our Lord makes a sad comment on the authorities from Jerusalem who are so hard of heart, so thick of skull, so impervious to understanding in God's grace that they actually claim that the one who is God with us and acting by the Holy Spirit is acting by Satan. 
Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. There's a kind of resistance, a denial of the action of God there that God is always offering. This is like just a bit later we hear, this is the seed going into the rock. The seed is real, the seed is life. It is the word, but there's gotta be something out there to receive it. The two go together and this harder, it's hard to find harder rock than to say that the Holy Spirit is Satan. That's pretty far gone. And our Lord sadly comments on that. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting about him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around on those who sat about him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So the family who had set out out of their worry about him, they come now and arrive and they send in to him. And our Lord says, who are my mother and my brothers? Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The very heart of the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's a family that's gone beyond the natural family of our Lord. Very strong as in every society and certainly in the one of our Lord, the family connections, mothers, brothers, relatives, cousins, very important of course to all of us. But there's something beyond that. It is those who do the will of God. These are mother and brother and sister to Jesus. This family has extended and it's beyond mere natural connectedness. It has to do with doing the will of God. And in that way, we become truly, profoundly the family of Jesus. And that's why when we honor Our Lady, we do so because she is physically the mother of the Lord. That's that first level. But most of all, because in fulfillment of this passage, but we hear about it not in this gospel, which says almost nothing about Our Lady, but we hear about it in St. Luke's gospel, she says, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. It is that example which Our Lady gives to us of doing God's will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, behold the handmaid of the Lord. This is the most profound way in which we become connected to our Lord. And so it is with her, although we don't hear about it in this gospel, and so it is with us in our own way of life. That's one reason why we're, we're happy we have four gospels. Not, they don't, no one of them gives us everything. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's like I know my pectoral cross here. I've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And on my chalice that 40 years ago I had, I ordered 
on the, around the knob of the center is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's each one. Matthew gives us the, the teachings. And Mark, this gospel gives us the fire and the, the encounter with Jesus. And Luke gives us the personal accounts, the stories of Our Lady and, and the, the compassion, the mercy of Jesus. And John gives us the majesty of Jesus and teaches us also a lot about our life of discipleship and also a lot about Our Lady. And it does in every one of them ultimately come down to whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it had not much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root in it, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and brought forth grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large, large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He is Christ the teacher, sitting in the boat, in the position really of the teacher, the, the chair, just as the cathedral back there is the, the chair of the bishop. We hear of universities, the chair of this or that study, this area of study. He is Christ the teacher. We do not get in Mark's gospel very many of his teachings. That's more Matthew. But he is to us always Christ the teacher. And he teaches us sometimes in short sayings and always by his actions, which is mostly what we get in Mark's gospel. But he teaches us in parables, making us think and reflect. And of course, just shortly after this, he gives a detailed explanation of this parable. But parables can also be seen just in themselves without going blow by blow through the whole just to get a sense of the whole parable. Here we have the seed being sown. It's alive. There's no problem with the seed. The problem is with how it is received, whether it be thrown and it's cast the way they just spread out. The birds come down and take it or it's on hard ground or thin soil. Three different ways the seed lands and it fails. Not because there's anything wrong with the seed, but because there's something wrong with the environment in which it is being received. And both of them work together. This is what we speak of 
within our faith in the sacraments. We speak about ex opere operato and ex opere operantis. The, the sacraments are always an act of God. When we celebrate the Eucharist, it is the body and blood of Christ no matter what, if it's a priest celebrating the Eucharist. That's a given, literally, that is a given. The sacraments are always a given. But a lot does depend on how we receive them. We need to prepare ourselves to be like the ground in this, the fruitful ground that is, bears fruit, and not have hard hearts, stony hearts, or not have thin reception, or, or not be exposed so much to the things that can make the grace of God given to us not be received. And so let's think about that just in the whole of this, because it's going to be explained in a moment by our Lord in more detail. Let's just look at the whole of this parable. What does it say to my head, to my heart, and to my hands? How have I been in my own life as the ground in which the great gift of word and sacrament, the word given to us in the sacred scriptures and the sacraments too, Christ coming in both ways. How have I received them? And how can I become more fruitful soil? Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it had not much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and brought forth grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We have to have ears to hear. If we do, let us hear. So let us listen to that. He starts with listen and ends with hear. But it presumably, we may not listen because he has to tell us to. And at the end, we may not have ears to hear. So just for a moment, let's just say to the Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What does this parable say to me in my own life right now. And when he was alone, those who were about him with the 12 asked him concerning the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn again and be forgiven. Here we look back to the prophets, the Old Testament, who would speak often in parables. And the people with hardened heart would not, would not listen, would not turn again. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. We need to come inside, not in an exclusive sort of, exclusive sort of sense of being in like that and there out there and we're in here. You know, 
nobody's saved but ye and me, and I'm not too sure about ye. Not that approach. But there is a need to come inside, as in these, these passages from Mark, the, he explains it to the apostles. They need further help, and he gives it to them. And he invites people to come inside to listen. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they walk away. I don't think the experts from Jerusalem were in, wanted to be inside. That was their problem. He would have welcomed them. The door was open. As in the book of Revelation, the doors of the heavenly Jerusalem are wide open. But not everyone can come because we place ourselves outside. And so we, we can hear the secret of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is within us. But we need to have ears that hear and hearts that are open. We need to ask the Lord to forgive us those things which are barriers on that pathway to our hearts, our sins, and those things that harden us, make us like the rocky soil. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? It's sort of good to see his um, frustration there with the apostles, even the ones who are inside and who have been, he's been preparing. He's, most of the time our Lord spends in his teaching, at least to a great degree, it's in preparing his apostles to be apostles. I remember once I, I spent many years of my mission as a priest, I was sent by my bishop to teach at a seminary. And very often priests who are assigned to teach in seminaries feel they're missing out on something because they, they always wanted to be a parish priest and you know, you never get to be one. I'll, I'll never get to be a parish priest. But I remember once a bishop came and talked to us and he said, these priests who are teaching here, they may feel a little bit like they'll never get to be what they wanted to be when they said yes to the Lord to become a priest but they're preparing apostles. And after all, that's what Jesus did for three years. Sort of an image, which I've often thought about. And so we need ourselves to be prepared, to listen, to come inside, not in a sense of excluding others, but to come into the inner family of Jesus that is made up of those who hear the will of God and do it, hear God's word and obey it. And who are then able to penetrate the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Because it, it won't happen if we're turning away. And then he goes to explain this most fundamental parable, which tells us about everything he says, all the parables depend on this one. It has to do with whether you have ears to hear. It has to do with whether you're like someone who is so misguided, you think that the Holy Spirit is Satan. Like, that's being pretty far off. 
We have to have ears to hear. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Because so often we don't listen. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And these, in like manner, are the ones sown upon rocky ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So we can receive the word, but it makes no impact at all. The birds come and take it away. It's just barely there. That can be one reason for lack of fruitfulness. But there's a different kind where we receive the word, we have a, an emotional experience of Jesus, and a great firing up of our fervor, but it doesn't have roots. The emotions can be, as John Henry Newman says in one of his sermons, they can be a starter, a kind of priming the pump. But we have to go deeper. We can't just simply rejoice, hallelujah, Jesus. It's gotta be more than that. It's got to be in the head, on the lips, yes, that part, but in the heart. And that's why we can't, we've gotta be intentional Christians. This is what the Holy Father is talking about in his book about the, his letter, what's a book, about the joy of the gospel. We can't just be sort of surface Christians. We gotta really go deep, be serious, listen. Get serious about listening to God's word and let it change our hearts. Because a kind of superficial Christianity is just not enough. And others are the ones sown among thorns. And they're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the light and riches, the desires for other things, enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is what Pope Francis calls being worldly. So many other things just choke, 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 choke. Things in themselves are not particularly bad, unlike uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, but things can, we can get so cluttered that when our hearts are cluttered, even with things that aren't bad, there's just no room for the Lord or for people in need. There is a globalization of indifference. We just are, we're consumers. <laughs> Isn't that awful? You know, that's what we're defined as. We're consumers. And maybe we should think of on a tombstone, here lies a consumer being consumed. This is why St. John Fisher, my favorite saint, or one of my favorite saints, had a skull on his desk to remind us, clutter, 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 tick, tick, tick. Let's, you know, let's cut the shrubbery, the thorns, all this stuff that's, you know, it stifles us. But those that were sown upon the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Hear, accept, and bear fruit. That's the pattern, that's what we need to do. First to hear it, intellectually, understand, get a grip, accept it, say yes, 
and bear fruit. This is the exact opposite of a mortal sin, where you have a temptation to do wrong, which is not itself a sin, but then we decide to do wrong and then we bear bitter fruit. But this is the reverse, this is virtue. We hear God's word, goes deep enough that we accept it with real roots of faith, and then bear fruit. Gotta have roots before you have fruits. And so we gotta look at both, the roots and the fruits. And then we are what God wants us to be. Then he went home, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they said, he is beside himself. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds that strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting about him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around on those who sat about him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he taught them many things in parables and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it had not much soil. It immediately, it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up but increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those who were about him with the twelve asked him concerning the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn again and be forgiven. 
And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. And these in like manner are the ones sown upon rocky ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the delight and riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown upon the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.